casting her now we've established everything is inherently worthless and there's nothing in the universe with any kind of objective purpose and I scream in a hundred years split the sky with a thousand curses I've got my things I can do Honey, you wouldn't really scratch the surface Too many implications Not enough time to make them specific Too many generalizations Not enough time to make them specific Hello? It's overcast. It might rain. I'm warning because if it gets really bad, I'll probably have to go inside. But... If it's just drizzling, I'll be fine. The, ni- the night is overcast. There is a foreboding about. about. There is this feeling of tension and, and implication in the very air. But uh, I'll keep an eye on it. Oh, God. I, I, I look when I wear this. This is a terrible shirt, and it looks like crap, and it has this big, round, terrible collar. And I still remember that I fucking went on television wearing this fucking thing once. God. I like to think that I have a little, a modicum more uh, social uh, awareness to do that now. But I'm now on Twitch, which is, I guess, the modern television, and I'm wearing it. But it's the, I'm cycled through my clothing, and I don't want to wear anything again too recently. I get neurotic about it. So now i gotta take, go to, I got to do a little load of laundry. But man, this shirt is really terrible. I should just throw it out so I don't even I don't even like get tempted to wear it. Uh, I am flexing with the drip. That's right, folks. I'm flexing with the drip. We are streaming the RNC. Uh, last week we just did Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. This week, though. Because the Republicans are always more fun and have more juicy bullshit. Uh, I mean, the first night we're going to have the gun couple from St. Louis and DJ TJ, who are both the can't misses in my opinion. So me and Law and Afshin are going to be streaming tonight too. Uh, I don't know who else will be on. Uh, Virgil said he might do it, but it'll be at least us. But then we're going to have more Amber, Felix, and other special guests will be all through the week. Oh, and on thir- and on Wednesday I should put this out here. Uh, before that and after, uh, the FYM team, the streaming guys, Tom and those gentlemen, uh, will be doing a fundraiser for the Milwaukee Freedom Fund, uh, related to providing, I think, jail support and other, uh, help to protesters after the horrifying police shooting that just happened in Kenosha. Uh, and that's going to be happening before, that's going to happen from 7 to 9, and then we're going to hop on at 9, we're going to do... The convention, and then we're going to do some more uh, spoofs and goofs with the FYM crew afterwards, and that'll be donating, raising money for the Milwaukee Freedom Fund. Am I JFK Jr.? Well, that's just ridiculous. Oh, come on. Uh, what did Trump say about Bernie today? Is he trying to do the triangulation thing where he reminds people that Bernie's a good guy and wonderful and we love him, uh, and that the DNC stole the nomination from him, which is very, very clever, but very disingenuous, because if Bernie had gotten the nomination, uh, I think, honestly, if Bernie had gotten the nomination, Trump might have fully embraced Q by now. He might be going, 
He wants to eat your children. This because he's ter- he was terrified of Bernie Sanders' socialist appeal because he has an understanding because he's more connected to to popular trends than bloodless vampire Republicans. He sensed that there was something stirring in the masses that could have potentially been connected to things like Medicare for All. I mean, the guy wanted to run for president in 2000 on the Reform Party platform with Medicare for All basically as the principal of domestic reform. He has that animal instinct, and so he was scared of Bernie. And he would have nothing else, so he would probably be full QAnon, because that would be the handiest tool. The whole convention would be pictures of Bernie like Photoshop next to Anton LaVey and a big fondue pot full of baby brains. Folks, he eats babies. This guy, this Bernie Sanders, he seems like a great guy. He's a bad guy. Anyway, what did Trump say about Bernie? They say he would have been unbeatable. That's pretty funny because it's true. And he can admit it now that it's no longer a danger. So what did uh, Trump say? I don't think he called him a trifling hoe. That sounds ridiculous. He said he was the greatest loser of all time. That's, that's overstating the case. I actually just rewatched the stuff. Somebody asked me, I, I saw the blob, I rewatched the stuff. The stuff has good stuff in it, but it's not very good. It's a great performance by Michael Moriarty more than anything. And that's the thing about a lot of those Larry Cohen movies, is that the movies aren't that great, but fucking Moriarty is fantastic. He's doing like this method, goofy, counterintuitive shit in all of his movies with them, like that and Q, that makes it interesting even if the direction's flat and it's very choppy. Apparently it was much longer and the version, I don't know if there's ever been a director's cut, but the original cut of the stuff was much longer. And you can tell. It's very, very uh, herky-jerky and, uh, and missing a lot of stuff. And it doesn't have a lot of energy as a result of that. But Michael Moriarty is fantastic. Having Paul Sorvino in there basically playing a, fictionalized, a slightly fictionalized version of Bo Greitz. Fantastic. Uh, Garrett Morris is delightful as Chocolate Chip Charlie. But the f- whole thing with the stuff, none of it really works. Uh, somebody says the Nixon Carter was the first guy who told people to uh, to do more with less, and he says no that there was like there was meat there was a whole thing about meat uh, with Nixon. But the thing about that is that was an emergency that was an emergency um, that was an emergency situation, and it was Nixon specifically. It was mixed with it was part of a broader policy of kicking the can down the road. Because remember, uh, so Carter. Faced with the with the with the reality of stagflation, decides to uh, to start do austerity. Nixon was faced with that same option uh, in his first term, but he was fully fixated on winning, because as I said, the Democrats are super ego, the Republicans are id. Nixon wanted power first and foremost. Everything flowed from that. Carter wanted to think he was a good boy. Carter wanted to be a sanctimonious good man. He was going to be the good man who redeemed America. 
America that had fallen. It was going to be redeemed by him, a person who embodied righteousness. That is not what Nixon was. Nixon thought he knew of the future. And the funny thing is, is Nixon is a guy who anticipates a lot of our current crisis because Nixon saw coming because he presided over the the end of Bretton Woods and the beginning of the uh, of the current uh, floating fiat system with the uh, U.S. dollars as global reserve currency. He saw the future. He knew this means that America will no longer be the productive powerhouse of the world. America will not be able to be a net exporter. You can't be a reserve currency without connection to gold or some specie. You cannot be a reserve currency and be a net exporter. It doesn't work. The money's got to circulate. It's got to be out of the country. That means people have to be, you have to be buying things from the rest of the world. That is unbreakable. That, cha- that had a lot of implications for the future of the American military project. and the, the, At that point, the still, hot cold, the still existing Cold War, because Nixon didn't know that the Soviet Union was going to be gone soon. He thought they'd have to be reckoned with while America declined. And he was going to manage the decline. And that meant that whatever it took to get uh, through to these dumbasses, to get him elected, what he would do. And so when he was faced with that crisis, he did not sit America down and tell them, I need you to suffer... I, as I need to suffer. He told people, we're doing wage and price controls. He did the thing that no Republican was supposed to do, the thing that made, the thing that made Milton Friedman shit rivets. Because he wanted to get reelected, because he didn't want to cause this recession. Carter basic, Carter's policy in, uh, this is not a joke and this is not a theory of mine. This is pretty well documented. Carter's economic project in his first term was to induce a recession to stop inflation. And then he had to run for re-election. You wouldn't do that if winning was what you cared about. Carter didn't care about winning because it wasn't about his what he was going to do to make America like manage manage its actual government. It was what it was he was going to do for its soul. He was what, it was, what he was going to do for its spirit. Its... But that's not that job. And that's, that's one of the, the horrors of the American presidency is because it is this civic uh, god. It's, it's, it's this god king. Like, there's so much energy around the presidency and they have so much actual power and they have so much psychic power and so much of it is put into the hands of one individual that, that, that the mechanics of power that they preside over and the spiritual, like metaphorical, internal, uh, spiritual processing of that reality get inter- intermingled. And so Carter did not start from the principle of, I know what I can do to make America's mil- uh, government function. He was going to fix the spirit. But that wasn't what was the real problem. There was no problem with that. It emanated from the structure. Nixon understood that. I mean, he didn't really give a shit about if America was moral or not. He wanted to be in charge. He was a fucking sick little pervert who got off on power because it filled the gaping hole in his, in his, his, his stomach. And so Nixon says, uh, no, we'll do wage and price controls. Even though that was, that's the Keynesian answer. That's like the, that's the, that, that, that was the hegemonic New Dealer answer. And that is why when Carter got in there, the only option anyone saw was austerity because the only alternative, the left-wing alternative, the one that Teddy Kennedy ran on in 1980 was wage and price controls. And the thing is, when they said that was a bad idea, they were not wrong. We literally had just had wage and price controls under Nixon, and they didn't work. 
But that's all that was in the Keynesian cupboard. That was all that was in the New Deal, the Great Society cupboard, because it was trapped in the logic of the fucking capitalist system that demanded profit, that demanded the uh, that 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 demanded uh, continued purchasing and a consumer matrix to offset the, the amount of alienation being being carried out through the process of uh, of the wage relationship. In that context, there's two roads. One of them you know doesn't work, but it could maybe work in the short term to make, keep your party in power. And the other deals with the, the actual uh, like econo- political, eco- political economic malfunction within the system, transfers from the political to the eco- economic, uh, and, and, change, and, and actually addresses the problem. And that's what they po- chose. They chose austerity. And the thing is, by addressing the problem in capitalist terms, what's this? Oh, it increases exploitation? Shit. It increases exploitation of third world people by turning them from peasants into uh, wage laborers, which means, yes, standard of living goes up, but so does exploitation and alienation. It does. And you can say it's a trade-off worth making, but it's not one that those people are making by choice. It's not a democratic choice. It's being thrust upon them. They're getting more a higher standard of living, and in a lot of cases, barely that, in exchange for giving up control over their uh, environment. But, it, but, the, but that's their decision. Or hypothetically, you would think, by people who claim otherwise to believe the idea that we are independent beings who deserve to make a choice in our destiny. But no, that just happens. Because it's invisible, because the market does it. The market draws people through capillary action for the country to the city and turns them into a proletariat. No one's hands are on the trigger. There's no, lo- there's no, uh, there's no emptying, you're not empty. Like Pol Pot emptied the cities by gunpoint and that's a horrible thing, and it was. But filling those cities was a horrible thing too. But there was no, you didn't need to put a gun on anybody. And so, and in the, and in the country in the US, which had been the arsenal of democracy and then then the winner of World War II, and then the sole industrial behemoth of a world coming back into a demand for a civic fucking consumer infrastructure, which we provided. But in so doing, we also had to stand up our former enemies to keep them from being subsumed by the Soviets, which depleted our ability to dominate the, uh, the export markets, in decreasing profits for American industry. Uh, and then putting pressure on the Bretton Woods uh, dollar system, which resulted in Nixon taking us off gold, which meant that if we were going to still be the reserve currency, we had to run a massive trade deficit, which we have basically ever since. And that is why anybody who talks about how, like, there's some right populism that's going to come up, and it's going to, from the, like, the economic left outflank the Democrats, like Tucker Carlson's going to lead some hair and folk democracy, that it's going to really bring the jobs back instead of just say they're going to do like Trump, that's wishful thinking in certain degree. Like, I mean, even if you say it would be horrible, you at least would love to see some sort of acknowledgement that we are masters of our economic destiny. But they would, in order to do that, they would have to be willing to get rid of the world reserve currency being the American dollar and go towards something that Keynes suggested at Bretton Woods, which was to have a global exchange currency that was not tied to any one national economy. Do you think Tucker Carlson's going to sign up for that globalism? Foe out of here.
but that's the thing. That is how you can. That's you've got Nixon and Carter who have basically the same problem in front of them, and what determines their action is which psychological, like what 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 role that they think they're doing, and Republicans because they're the id of the system, think that they're operating out of uh, just. Drive, blind drive that's then cloaked in righteousness however they try to decide to tell themselves. The Democrat thinks of themselves first and foremost as someone who exists to be a virtuous, to be outward focusing, even though it's in this context of capitalism where that is rendered a joke by the reality of the brutal oppression and alienation of capitalism and the desacralization of all exchanges and the replacement, with them, replacement of them by market relationships, which are inherently sterile and which accumulate towards exploitation. You don't, you're not going to reckon with that, but, so, but you're going to try to be a good person. And so you either put a cynical lid on inflation so you can get to that second term and negotiate that trilateral uh, deal with the other world powers that puts us on a position to step down from dollar hegemony in a way that doesn't destroy our, us, uh, our economic system so that we can like, have a handoff to a more globalized system of world capitalism where we're no longer the headquarters, but we keep most of the, uh, the, the lucre because we're like senior partners, the way that the, uh, the, way that the uh, UK did after World War II. I got to do it. I'm Nixon. I'm the smart guy. I can do that. Carter, on the other hand, is like, oh, people need to, wor- le- people need to learn to live with less, be less consumers, be more citizens put more investment into their lives around them and not in what they buy. Really, are you going to do anything to change the thing that makes America consumer society any of the brutal alienating factors that replace all of our uh, meaning with dollar worth? Like we replace any kind of of, of, uh, abstract spiritual social worth with concretized dollar worth. And And you're going to tell people you need to live on less but we're not going to let you live in any different way. You still need to peck and pay the, the rent every fucking month. You still need to save for your kid's college. You still uh, need to work 40 or 50 hours a week for a boss who tells you what to do and whose labor and who takes your labor and keeps it for himself, the vast majority of it. And you got to live in a physical infrastructure that keeps people apart from each other. And, uh, and a mass media topped on top of that that, that uh, further alienates and splinters and keeps people away. And replaces the social with some imagined uh, monoculture that you're all participating in, spite like at the etheric plane, but never interacting with personally, never generating from the ground up. But you, but you're you, you're going to be able to find more meaning in life, even though conditions for your life haven't changed, right? No, you're going to listen to another guy, Ronald Reagan, when he says, "Fuck that shit, cut taxes, and we still get to party." And then what happens is the Volcker shock ends up. Uh, doing what Carter wanted to do and said we needed to do, which was balance the economy on the back of workers by breaking labor power and the demand of the labor share of profit, which is one of the things that did drive inflation. It's not like it didn't drive inflation, but it's the one driver of inflation that they essentially decided to get rid of. They neutered labor. Flatline on the chart for the last 40 years. But they did it behind our backs. They did it slowly. They did it under Morning in America. They did it with the Reagan finery around it. And people didn't even know it was happening. Carter, because he was honest, wanted to tell people up front what he was going to do to them. And 
as long as there's another party that's not bound by your weird kink, your weird subconscious need to be uh, to be uh, seen by others as virtuous, this this uh, part of this this party that exists to suppress the urges for the greater good without confronting any of the underlying uh, psychosis that generates that desire, which is the actual reality of capitalism, the unexamined ego. You want people to like be wide awake when they get uh, their medicine. You're going to lose. And then the other party's going to win, which is what they've been doing ever since. The cicadas are out there. They're clack clacking away. People are telling me that that was a squirrel the other day, by the way, that was just hollering. That's terrifying. They just look so cute and fluffy. I did not know they could make noises like that. Is step family porn a psyop? You know, I'm starting to think that the, the conspiracy mindset that's now emerging on the left it's not obvious. It's not the same thing as the QAnon thing. In fact, the QAnon thing is like a flight from reality. And I think that the uh, conspiracy mongering on the left about stuff about what psyops also counts as a sort of step for uh, it's, it counts as a step forward for some people, which is why I think it's to be encouraged, whereas the the uh, the Q one is to be lamented. Not like anything you can do about it, but just to look on with horror and be like, oh god, oh god. Now I'm not talking about QAnon. I'm, I'm not talking about TrueAnon. I feel like those guys do their homework and, and their shit is real and that like there are ops, obviously. Ops are everywhere. What I'm saying is the instinct people have that is generated by this new awareness that Epstein helped create of the reality of parapolitics to say everything that you encounter is, a, is an op. That's what I'm talking about. And I think what that is is people are essentially trying to psychically red pill themselves towards an awareness of cap of, of like capitalism like trying to get the no live glasses on you know trying to forge the no live the, the, sorry the they live glasses of, of socialism but you know it's 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 not going to be fast and easy for everybody because a lot none of this stuff is intuitive if you grew up in america like it runs counter to everything you've been taught the deep ideology and pushing against that is difficult and i feel like understanding on one level, that all social uh, phenomenon are generated not by our innate, like, uh, uh, our individual sins, our individual deficiencies, like bad things in culture, bad things in society don't just come from us being bad people, like choosing to do bad, that, that moralistic Calvinist framework. That's not true. That's, that's, the, that's, a fant- that's a spook that's meant to mystify you. Uh, it's generated by the social relationship, the, the, the actual relationship of production that shapes the world everyone lives in. Making people's, uh, making life, making daily life is what makes bad things happen because it's generated by those, those interactions. By, by that, that fundamental, the fundamental quest for sustenance of all kinds that makes up human existence in a social context. But it's hard to hold on to that because it's abstract and it's hard to connect it to the world around you. 
because it's so far removed from your experience of events. And I feel like it is an intermediate step for people trying to get deeper to the idea of these things being generated by, by the social order to, like, they can't get there, they can't stay there, but where they can stay, create, like, imaginatively, is to some, some expression of that order in the form of intelligence, in the form of the deep state, in the form of the, 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 the men in black. And then say, aha, I understand that school shootings or stepmom porn, I understand that these aren't because we are not doing these because we're naughty people. We're sinful people. We don't deserve nice things. Uh, these, aren't, these aren't the expressions of a sick society as in sick citizens. It's an expression of a social relationship that is untenable and producing more and more horrifying, alienating lives for the people who live in it that is generating more and more profanity of spirit. Uh, but it is an agent of our structure that does it. The CIA, the deep state. That's that's connects you. It's the it's the it's the linkage between just events as they occur and and as they coalesce into trends that we recognize, and the 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 the, the superstructure, and then the base. It connects the two. Connects base and superstructure as a mental architecture, as I like to use that term. I know I say it too much, but in this case, I'm literally meaning like a, like a piece of fucking connective tissue or uh, a bridge. A bridge. So, um, so I, I say... I, so that's why I don't get mad at people when they want to ask. They want they want think everything's an op. I just say there are ops, but they're not everything. Because if they're everything, then we have no agency at all, right? If everything, but that's there's a paradox there. If everything is an op, then they wouldn't need to do ops. If you know what I mean, you've reached the point where you're not really uh, you, you're you're you've stepped back too far. You're not describing discrete. You're not. You're turning the ter- ter- the map into the territory, basically, because like every like there are events within a, 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 a. There's like a sheet of events rippling out, you know, and they form into events that have patterns to them. And some of them are the cause of some things, and some of them are the cause are other things. At a certain point, you've lost descriptive ability if the thing that you're describing is what is responsible for everything. So that, that leaves you with a situation of, well, if some things are real and some things aren't, how do I find out? You actually have to, like, look into it. You actually have to start... You have to assume that they aren't and then, and then change your opinion based on discovering more evidence that they are. You have to start from an assumption that they aren't all because at this point, there's so much amorphous shit in the Internet and it's so easy to get curated versions of events, even if you don't even realize that's what you're searching for, the way that people might not even know that they're the ones moving the uh, planchette in a game of Ouija, you're, you're pu- tunneling into a reinforcing uh, epistemic circle without even being aware of it. So you got to start from the assumption that they aren't and then have to be convinced. Like it's 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 a like there's a reason that it became that that's the basis of like the English common law because it is a uh, it's a epistemic tool to array things into like into yes or no propositions. Where's your starting position? And it needs to be no, 
or else everything would just piles up like stepmother porn my i see it absent any evidence if everybody is literally if a huge if a bigger and bigger percentage of people stay at home and a bigger and bigger percentage of people uh get divorced or at least you know at this point a, a solid 50 percent of marriages divorced but more and more people live at home the amount of interactions between step-parents and stepchildren is going to increase exponentially over time. People covet what they see every day, Clarice. I mean, and part of it is for me, it's like for a lot of these neats especially, like porn-addicted neats who are like consuming a lot of the porn, which is a lot of people, because there's a lot of people who just just watch porn or mostly watch porn in terms of their sexual life. And uh, they don't have jobs. You know, they're, they're, they, what, what are they going to do with a, a, a fantasy of like having sex with somebody at the water cooler? They, they don't have a fucking job. They live in their parents' house. They don't go anywhere. They're on the internet all day. The only woman they engage in, in any way with in, in any given moment are maybe their stepmom or whoever lives in their house. So giving them a fantasy of having sex with their stepmom is a fantasy that's achievable in their mind as like a possible thing, as a gateway, as something to intensify the pleasure. Because you can imagine actually having sex with somebody in your house. Oh, you're going to go on a date? You're going to interact with a strange woman? That's too much of a fantasy. So, and same thing with, like, mass shootings. I think America's messed up enough to produce people who snap and shoot each other. Considering how many guns and how much just unregulated social dysfunction we've got. Uh, and if you have, but if you have specific evidence, I'll listen to it. I just think that, like, you need to just start from a position that these things aren't. And then you have to be convinced. And like, I think the thing like Truanon is good because I think they're actually a model for doing it. But the problem is, is that like it takes rigor to do it the way they do. And it's much easier to just sort of have a hip, off the hip take. But that's because people, that's because like the stakes are lower. Your take, you know, you're not, you're not a professional podcaster. That take doesn't matter. It's just going to accrue some likes or whatever. But if that's the case, just like, well, then why have an opinion at all? Like, why do you have to have a take at all? Why not? If there's nothing in it for you, like, my thing with a lot of the issues people demand I have an argument about and, like, have a real strong opinion about, it's like, well, what does it benefit me to have this opinion? What does it benefit anyone else to have an opinion about something that has, by definition, to be largely cut off from any deeper understanding of it that I could even lean on? But the thing is, everything gets flattened. So QAnon doing like rigorous stuff gets turned into takes for everything, and then that turns into your worldview. Now, you know, obviously, as I've said a million times, if it's happening online, it doesn't matter. But if enough people have like the wrong worldview in their head, it's hard for them to, uh, to act effectively. But 
you can't convince them of that. And that's why you can't change it at the level of the discourse. Because they have to experience it for themselves. They have to have a real experience in life that leads them in one or another direction. You cannot convince them out of it. You might convince that a few people, but the, the uh, efficacy is so low that it, and I might point out that the backlash is so much more. Like, I would say that I think you could definitely argue successfully that the discourse has changed the minds of people. But I would make another argument that is just as, you know, unbound by facts. Like, this isn't a thing we could decide for us empirically. This is purely a rational exercise because we're not going to be able to ever get this information. And everything that will be called information is going to be anecdote. So I would say on the question of whether it's like the discourse is, is an effective place to fight, I would say this. There's two propositions. One is that more people have their minds changed by encountering arguments online than are reinforced in bad opinions that lead to bad outcomes by the very act of observing and engaging in the online argument. And you cannot prove either of these. You have to just say what, into yourself which one you think is more realistic, which one is fits with your vision of like your rational mind your reason, which one seems more reasonable to you? That more people discreetly, as individuals, read an opinion that is, diet, that is uh, right, interact with their wrong opinion, and have it change. And this is important, not just switch from one wrong opinion to the other. Because that happens, but that's different. And you'd have to be able to say, no, 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 not when anybody, not like when Ian Miles Chong goes from SJW to Red Pill. Like, that doesn't count. He changed his mind, even if, you you know, you can say it was cynical, but say it wasn't. That happens sometimes. That doesn't, that's not good. Uh, you have to say that that happens enough to be worth spending that time there. Barring how much time people spend there. How much energy is put there. There's another proposition that says that whatever that number is of people who change their mind towards something better, it is by far overwhelmed by people who are reinforced in wrong opinions by engaging in this stupid bullshit in the first place. And I would say a good example of that is the thing in Kansas, which became this battle of, like, absolute propositions. Human, like, dignity. The ability to, like, be a human being without, without your... Attempts to live your life in good faith being destroyed by some monstrous uh, uh, mechanism of, of, of punishment. This Foucaultian nightmare. Uh, or, or the proposition that, uh, that there's like this monstrous misogynist left that essentially just wants to, uh, you know, create a Heronvolk democracy around... Uh, around socialized labor uh, but subjugated socialized public labor but subjugated private female house, la house labor and it's like holy shit that's a big argument damn I see the point on both sides what's this about it's about a 19 year old running for state legislature why is a 19 year old running for that seat because, and this is, where, this is where the fucking mystification of the discourse comes in. 
All the, the only way people filter this stuff, like who's a good candidate in the political sphere, who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, it's do they have the right opinions, right? Because it's just, I'm running for Congress on a platform of these opinions. And so this is the shibboleths I talk about when I talk about how online argumentation just creates lines where everything is just a, a formal shibboleth. So that means that when you're evaluating a campaign or a candidacy or an event, the only thing that matters is what they say about anything. But there's a reality that you're trying to elect somebody to a job, and presumably that is supposed to be an advance for forces of good. They're supposed to do something in that office that is positive. I would suggest and submit that a 19-year-old, by definition, cannot do that. They do not have the life skills, mental uh, uh, competence, knowledge base, uh, uh, maturity to do it, and more importantly, the social ability to negotiate the, the halls of power, know, identify good faith from bad faith actors among the current legislatures, picking your moment with pieces of legislation to, make a, to, to actually push something forward. Find out who you can deal with in good faith and who would require you to get rid of your morals if you have them, if you're not just saying it. And how would we ever know if you weren't just saying it? The devil can quote scripture if he wants to. So I say a 19-year-old can't do that job. And you could say, well, then no one else, there was nobody in that district who stood up. Would you rather have no one stand up? Honestly, yes, I would. I would rather have no one do it than a 19-year-old. And the fact that a 19-year-old did it tells me that the, whatever the situation is in Kansas, uh, that legislature was never going to do anything. He wasn't going to serve as a beacon. He wasn't going to like lead some sort of realignment because there is no groundwork there is no social base to generate anything other than a 19-year-old. No one else stepped forward. That is fallow ground. Now, you can run in fallow ground if you have uh, some sort of connection to a project, but being 19 tells me there was no project. It's just people doing what they wanted to. It's people going from, hey, one vote is just one vote. This isn't really doing politics, to... Me running for office is doing politics. But really, it's not that much more. Because these things have to multiply upon axis of coordination. We have to do these things in concert. The, org the activism has to be the kids bouncing the basketball in the goddamn Chinese video everyone's talking about. And if it's a 19-year-old, then the structure did not exist to generate anything viable there. And all the other arguments that became world-ending questions of morality are built on an edifice of delusion. If people look through that lens of that event realistically, they would say, do I have to say anything about this at all? And they would say, no. That's not cowardice. That is triage. And the only way that that doesn't make sense to you is if the only access is the, is the, is the access of ideology and getting the right opinions, and dividing the good from the bad. But like I said, you could say this guy's a good guy, and the evidence is look at the things he says, and look at the things he believes in. That's one thing you have to judge somebody by, and it certainly beats judging them by whatever the hell Democrats talk about. Like, he said he's a nice person, and he said he likes ice cream, and he said he thinks I'm cool. It's much better for it to be cold political points of view. But those are still just things you can say because nobody is acting from a position of power. It's all air. 
Words are wind, and they're not just wind, and you have to use them as a first step, but then guess what happens? You organize first by what people say, and then what by they do. And I'm sorry, there's nothing you've done by 19 that necessitates, especially at State Senate in Kansas, that necessitates that level of investment. You have to be deluded. You have to be stuck on this narrow strip of ideological combat between other people, all of whom are caught in the epistemic chamber, totally disconnected from the broader working class completely. And even if you're right in a narrow sense, you are wasting your time. And everyone wastes some time. You, your life, I mean, wasting time is one of the things that makes uh, life bearable in, under current conditions. But you might be wasting time that we don't have to waste. See, this person says, what if he's a 19-year-old with an uh, unusually savvy political might and a movement behind him? A movement that produces a 19-year-old candidate is not uh, a movement that I respect. How about that? Because ideas aren't the only thing. Ideas aren't the only thing. There's a, you're, you live in three dimensions. And, one of the, and the, there's a social dimension to life. Like, you're trying to turn these things into just like, you're trying to turn them into this abstracted battle of ideas instead of a real attempt to gain power through human existing political structures. There was nobody older than that. In your movement, you aren't there yet. And that's not, that doesn't mean don't try for it. It does mean that whether you win or not is not the end of the world. It's epiphenomenal. Because there, is, there are two tracks, and this is what gets a lot of people confused about the efficacy of electoral politics, is that there are two tracks of electoral politics that are going to emerge from the left moment that we're living in to the extent that it exists. One is going to be coordinated action involving uh, you know, organizations of different levels of, uh, of uh, volunteer and cadre intensity coming together in coalitions to coalesce around candidates that agreed to an existing platform and work in concert with others. And then there are going to be adventurous people who, inspired by that movement, decide on their own to do it. There's nothing that they're not ops. Some of them might be. There's no, you shouldn't assume any of them are ops until you're presented with evidence to the contrary. Uh, they are totally, totally, in 100% um, earnest and they want what's best for everyone. But because they're Americans, they don't know what that means. They're guessing like we all are. They're struggling blindly through the dark. That's why, that's what the class project is. It's people hollering in the dark until they can hear each other, and then they can hold hands, and then they can lead each other out of the fucking darkness. People doing it outside of the context, it's not, they're not hurting anything necessarily, unless their battle becomes a, a huge sink for resources and attention that it doesn't deserve. But it is just going to be somebody hollering out into the darkness because they're not hearing the other voices. And it's like, yeah, it sucks to be able to figure out which one's which, but you've got to do it. You've got to try. Fred Hampton didn't run for anything. It's levels of accountability. Within an organization, you can trust people because you have a level of accountability that involves personal relationships. Elected officials are abstracted from that. So you have less of a social 
dimension to your control over their actions. And that has to be filled by their own virtues. And you can only know that through the accumulation of their actions to that point, which require, uh, which require maturity. All these categories are getting confused in people's minds. I'm not going to say a 19-year-old can't lead a fucking political, grassroots political organization that involves, like, committees of people who are in, who are in, in absolute, uh, like, uh, relationship to one another and accountable to each other. Elected officials aren't accountable to anybody. And the thing is, this is going to be a problem because we've talked a lot about how the middle section of America, political class, the people who might realistically run for office, has been completely gutted. Uh, and that it's created a political class that is reinforcing and part of a broader managerial class and that it's going to have to emerge from the working class. That's true. But it has to, at some point, these things have to come into contact with other spokes, with other nodes, in order to be reinforced into a meaningful action or else they are just spent uh, pointlessly. See, this is the thing. People say, you're saying a kid can't do something? Running for office is qualitatively different. And this is the thing. Everybody wants to do everything. The idea that there's anything constraining anyone's relationship to any action is horrifying. And why is that? Because we're operating out of a libidinal understanding of politics. Where as much as we think we want what's best for everybody, at the end of the day, what we really want is what's best for what we think we want. And we have confused those to an extent, or they're overlapping to an extent that we can delude ourselves further into thinking that our personal, selfish uh, pursuits are for the greater good. But at some point, that turns into an unsustainable delusion. And you know when that point is? When you connect to other people. And then they check you. And you realize, oh, I can't do this. But as long as you're online, as long as you're fighting these battles in the virtual space, then you can do anything and you can be anybody. I mean, the Sunrise Movement, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that's a step in the right direction compared to one-offs runs for Congress and shit by, by people who have no experience or understanding of what they're doing and are not connected to anything broader than like a friend network or a bunch of people on a Facebook page or a subreddit. Uh, but it's, they're also showing that they are, they're kids, they're figuring it out. Like the way they got rolled on the, on the, uh, it was very predictable the way they got rolled on the Morse thing. You could have seen that coming a mile away. And one of the things that would have aided that was maturity, was a little more experience to know what, what principles, like how principles should be applied in reality instead of just like squirting squid ink out of virtue because that's all you've learned. Because your politics is until very recently, because you're young by definition, only involves signaling. I mean, I just think if somebody had that on the record, they would say, oh, I'm a bad candidate for this. I shouldn't do this. Because as much as you can say that the, uh, the mob was wrong and awful and disgusting to see, it was. How do you not assume that's going to happen? Because 
The number of people I see who complain every day about the awful baying woke mobs are now outraged that the anti-woke, the, mo- wo- the woke mobs are out again, but what did you expect to happen? And essentially what they, I assume, happened, what hoped to happen was, well, no one will find out. You can't operate off that assumption in a political battle. These people are fucking monsters. Look what, look what the fuck Richard Engel, foot, or uh, what the fuck's his name? The guy, in, uh, the guy who, who put the, honey, the weird honey trap for Morse. Look what, look what, what the, one of, fucking Franklin Roosevelt's grandson was involved in that fucking badger game. This is, this is capital you're dealing with. These are the cosmic forces of nature. These are the warlocks who have seized control, who actually wield power in this structure. You're not going to exploit every fucking thing they can and then have armies of, of useful idiot woke people who are going to grasp onto a chance to show their virtue again and a chance to show how they're the, they're the good people and to find heretics to burn. You don't think they're going to do that? Of course they're going to fucking do that. That's what they do. And you, what, you're going to tell them not to like you do every fucking day? How's that going? How has been telling them not to do it been going? It's an irresponsible thing to do in the first place. And as bad as and horrible as it is to drag a kid for that, it is irresponsible to do it in the first place. And it's not his fault. It doesn't make him a bad person. It means he didn't have anybody to tell him not to do it. And why didn't he have anybody to tell him what to do? Why didn't he tell anybody to, why didn't he have anybody to tell him not to do it? Because he didn't have anybody who had any fucking perspective on this outside of we should, be, we should be running for office. We need to be the ones in power because voting isn't enough. And the thing is, it's like, the horrible thing is I could say all that and, peop- and, and then say, well, well, then what? And I, That's the horror. That's the nausea is that I don't know. Because by definition, it can't be any of this stuff. But where else are we able to feel that we're acting? It's a nightmare. And that is, where, that is where changing material conditions come in as just a thing to cling to, a thing to get you through the day, but also a reality. Not just coping, but part of it is coping. Is realizing... I don't know it's going to work. But I do think it requires people to take a good hard look at their relationship to politics in terms of what they think is effective action. And to challenge themselves, to ask themselves deeply, do I want this because I think it'll do any good in the world? Or do I want this because it satisfies some need, some social need, to be reaffirmed in a social platform. And the hope, the only hope we have, is that if enough people will ha- ask themselves that, and by asking themselves that, able to, they are able to clear the foggy windshield of their perception of the world around them and find a path forward. The leap of faith. And I know that sucks because people want a fucking blueprint. But it has to be felt. You have to be driven by, by a, a self, an engine of self-interest of some kind. And it's either our, our, our libidinal self-interest or it is a deeper understanding. 
It is a deeper understanding of the greater good that emotionally encompasses everyone and not just us. And that is very hard to come by. And it's not something even that once you feel, you just keep feeling. You have to work for it. And it goes away because the, the, the world in front of you is arrayed before you as this buffet of pleasures and this litany of horrors that you have to negotiate. And that drives you towards self-satisfaction to self-comfort. It, it drives all of us. But we have to find a practice in our lives to allow a clarity to see the distinction between us and the world around us, recognize the delusion, that delusion for what it is, and genuinely feel a social obligation. That's spirituality, broadly understood. The specific definition of it, that's personal. That's why anybody who wants some sort of trad return to enforced state religion is deluding themselves. You cannot unfuck the dog. You cannot take the toothpaste and put it back in the tube. We are different. We have been transformed through the dialectical process. We have been pulverized against the rocks of capitalism and fucking uh, Protestantism and materialism and every ism uh, and science and, under, and, and uh, technology more than anything and capitalism most of all. We are different things and we have to recommit, we have to, re, we have to re-sacralize the world on a new, uh, a new foundation. And it's going to include, you know, the language and vocabulary and mental worlds of existing religions because that's what people have in their head. That's what has meaning to them already. And they're going to have to accrue, they will accrue meaning along those axes, but that meaning will not be, you know, the, the, the sectarian, horrible religion practiced by most, you know, religious people in the world, sadly, but a broader spiritual awareness, a rhizomatic understanding of, of interest is commingling. An emotional, that's the thing. A lot of people understand uh, as a matter of intellectual exercise that we are all to, in this together, the way Bernie says, that we genuinely are social beings who need to act from a social basis. We understand that intellectually, but we don't really feel it. We, and this was true for me for many years. I understand that a lot intellectually, but at the end of the day, I'm still me and they're them. I perceive myself as outside of them. And so therefore, I have to get mine first. A spiritual understanding of the world that I'm talking about understands, oh no, no. There is no distinction meaningfully to be made between me and them. And by them, I mean everybody on earth. There's no meaning. There are gradients of like uh, of familiarity that array along like symbolic orders that we've encountered in our lives, but they are just gradients. They're gradients of of that add up to the demiurgical shadow reality we fight ourselves in. But in reality, everyone is me. And what that means is is that you are operating libidinally from a position of altruism, not managing to go through, not ideologically transitioning from self-interest to uh, altruism. Genuine, like your self-expression is towards an understanding of a social obligation. And I'm not saying people are bad if they don't have that. I don't think I was a bad person when I didn't have that. And by the way, I don't have that all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a light bulb that is flickering at all times. It, it gutters out and it flies up. And I have to work to tend that motherfucker. Uh, that, that is not something that is blaring. And it's like, I'm not a better person. 
I'm not some sort of uh, a better person than people who don't think that way. Because you can operate from personal, well, from a personal uh, perspective and do good things and be a good person. Absolutely, and someone I respect. What I'm saying is that if that's the only way people operate, people in aggregate, not individually, people in aggregate will move towards pathological behavior, will move towards undermining their own uh, efforts and undermining their own uh, uh, movements. But that's not individual judgment of individual people. It is a, it is a recognition of the law of large numbers. If everyone's operating out of self-interest, eventually, especially in a culture like ours, those are going to, in aggregate, lead people to misaligning. And not misaligning in, as like good and bad, but as a gradient. Like these things are in everyone, these instincts are in everyone and have to be battled and uh, are part of life and part of the struggle of life. And getting towards a position where we all feel that is what we're talking about when we're talking about the world spirit coming into recognition of itself. This is what we're talking about when we mean the teleology of Marxism is a moment when everybody is operating from a felt position of interconnection, not a reasoned position of interconnection. That's when you get rid of the idea of coercion. That's when the state literally doesn't need to exist and markets don't need to exist because no one is operating from a position of self-interest at all. But, it isn't, but the thing is, is that it cannot be enforced. You can't do it through re-education camps or gulags. You can't do it through rude propaganda. People have to feel it. They have to feel it because they have to live in conditions that allow them to feel it. And that is why we have to all make leaps of faith every day to make the world more like that in our interactions with each other so that people can sustain it in their hearts and give it to others until enough people have it that we can stave off disaster and rewrite the fucking ship. I hope that made sense a little bit. I am not on acid, no. Not on acid. I hope some of that made sense. Some people are mad at me, but I, I'm good. If people have, honestly, I, I do think if people, I get, I, I have open DMs. I talk, to, I read, I read the Reddit about me. If people got problems I, I, about my stuff, I definitely encounter it. And I, and I try to reason it out. I just don't want to do it in a public forum because that contributes to the debate bullshit I hate. Uh, in the preening, and it makes me less likely to act the way that I know I should. It make, make, makes me more likely to dissemble and be dishonest and to use uh, solipsistic trickery in order to get my way because of my awareness that I'm competing in, a, in front of an audience. It, it, it brings out the worst in me. I think it brings out the worst in a lot of people. Not everybody. Some people thrive in it in terms of it making them better able to you know, engage with the truth. For me, it gets me farther from the truth and farther from the best version of myself. But I, I engage with feedback, so let me know if I'm off the rails here. All right, maybe I'll have to take a couple questions. That one pretty, wow, holy crap, that was an hour, wow. I gotta say that was kind of a blur. Um, whew. So yeah, maybe a couple of uh, cool down questions. And yes, uh, nine uh, eight thirty tonight. Me and uh, Lone Ashen will be starting our RNC stream. It's, there's a lot of lamos tonight, but we've got the fucking gun couple, which I'm very excited for, and DJ TJ, who is 
I really hope that he like kills it because I really want him to run for a president someday. Because he's the real he's the real deal. He's the copy of the copy of the copy. He's like if if the uh, if the fourth copy of Michael Keaton in Multiplicity, if someone copied him. that sounded too abstract and like not grounded, that's because I'm describing the actions of people, a people, I would say like a people, like a, a subgrouping of Americans who are essentially frictionless in their mental realm. Like even when they interact with other people, they're, they're, they're beveling the world. And I'm a part of it, I'm not saying I'm not. Who, they bevel the world around their psychic world. Like the fixation on like seven, seven warning signs on a guy's bed or uh, seven books that it's a warning sign if a guy has on his shelf. I mean, it boils down to editing people to be reflections, perfect reflections of your opinions. It's 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 literally shedding, shaving the world down to the to the shape of your opinions that you have totally that are totally detached from reality and totally generated from entirely hypothetical conversations online. So I feel like yes, this is all like flighty, but. I mean, I, I, when I talk about something that's more grounded, I like to think that I'm, I can, I can summon it. But right now, there isn't. This is, this is the the pseudo reality that people are spinning their wheels within. There is no way to ground it. It is purely generated and does not reconnect, except through the discrete actions of individuals whose actions dissipate because they're not cumulative, because they're not coordinated. And I will admit that I'm good at thinking frictionlessly because I'm one of these people. I know how the bastards think. I am one of I have been staring at this machine for 20 fucking years. It has rewired my brain in ways that I are maybe irreparable. And I'm trying to make some sort of uh, understanding of it. Like some sort of retrospective understanding of what it did to me. And how I can move forward from it without reinforcing all of the bad things. Okay. You know, I would actually say that uh, someone asked through the star, sh- the the, the chapel if they were on the Enterprise. Uh, I would say, Will is obviously Captain Kirk. Felix is Spock. I'm Bones. Uh, Amber is Scotty. Oh, and Virgil uh, is uh, the computer. All right, guys, Uh, I'm out of here. I'm bushed. I need to eat. Bye-bye.